I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. We are broadcasting from Happy Valley. Tyler Donahue alongside Daniel Gallen. We are fresh out of Beaver Stadium where Penn State's offense served up an astounding clunker for the second time in 21 days on a grand stage against an unbeaten Big Ten opponent. Uh, I thought the defense came to play. We'll talk about that in, in, in a little bit here. But the focus of this postgame podcast here on November 11th is going to be about this offensive attack. And ultimately, Penn State loses this game. It proves to be a two-possession uh, loss because of the decision late uh, not to go for the extra point versus the two-point conversion. That was another Interesting conversation that we can get into a little bit here, but the centerpiece, Daniel Gallon, is what happened offensively in this matchup. Penn State finished four of 14 on third downs against Michigan. Uh, that means that collectively against Michigan and Ohio State, they were five of 30 on third down opportunities. And then Drew Aller, 70 total passing yards on the day, he finishes 10 of 22. That's a 45% clip. Uh, once again, like Ohio State, they salvaged something late offensively, get some points on the board, getting the double-digit totals. Uh, you know, they had six, uh, six points on the board late against Ohio State before that touchdown. In this case, they had nine points before Theo Johnson reaches the end zone uh, with a couple minutes remaining in the matchup. And Daniel, uh, this is a team now with a second loss. That's going to completely change the complexion of, of what we're talking about moving forward. The college football playoff is off the table. The four-game playoff era, four-team playoff era in college football closes without Penn State ever being a part of, the, of that party. In fact, the only time they were really on that bubble when it mattered and the conversation was centered on them was that 2016 breakout season when they had the two early losses, won the Big Ten championship, and Additionally, this Big Ten East era closes out. They still have a couple more Big Ten East opponents here in Rutgers and Michigan State. But the two that have mattered the most for the longest, Ohio State and Michigan, they all reached the finish line of this uh, of this divisional setup in, in Big Ten play with Penn State going collectively 0-6 against Michigan and Ohio State going back through 2021. The last victory of that was the 2020 trip to Ann Arbor during the pandemic when there were no fans in the big house. So, Daniel, uh, it's a lot of, of tough results to swallow right now. Where do we begin? I think the, the best place to begin is the this big picture, 30,000-foot view. I think today was a pretty substantial failure for the Penn State program. I think that you come into this game and you have the opportunity to put yourself in the conversation for the college football playoff. 
for the Big Ten title. We've talked about it a lot these past couple weeks that this era of college football is coming to a close. The measuring sticks are going to change moving forward. This was your chance to really assert yourself before that new era to show over this past decade that you've really, really been building something uh, that is going to make that jump from great to elite. Uh, and that didn't. And in order to do that, you have to win games like today. And that didn't happen. You have the second largest crowd in Beaver Stadium history. Uh, I think there were 14 or 24 people short of the largest crowd uh, in, in that stadium's history. You're on Big Noon Saturday. And say what you want about you know, not liking noon games, not liking Gus Johnson, whatever. That game has a ton of eyeballs on it beyond Penn State fans, beyond Michigan fans. On top of it, you were tangentially, you know, you were tangent to the biggest story in probably all of sports this weekend uh, with Jim Harbaugh getting suspended yesterday afternoon. So you have even more eyeballs on you and you have the chance to really make a statement uh, and really, really kind of plant your flag um, as, hey, don't forget about Penn State. We're here too. We're ready for this. We're going to make the leap. We've got the goods. We got the quarterback. We got the defense. We got everything. Um, and Penn State couldn't do it today. Defense, I think they did their maybe even more than their fair share. Um, obviously, they had their lapses, but I think that over time against a team that has the talent level of Michigan as a team that has the talent level of Ohio State. Um, if you give that other team enough bites at the apple, they're going to get through against you at some point. That's just how this game works. Um, but I, I do think that when you tie it back to the offense, just another dismal showing by that unit. Um, and I think that they bear a lot of responsibility for what we saw today. This was a, a, a wild week and kind of a wacky finish to it with, with Jim Harbaugh essentially assuming sitting in a hotel miles miles nearby here in in, in Center County um, and, and not coaching the team. And yet um, we, we see Michigan go out there and they run the ball on their final 32 plays of this game. I think that the, the, the stat you passed along to me in the press box was J.J. McCarthy's last attempt or last completion was around the six-minute mark in the second quarter. Is that right? Well, Last official attempt because there was the the DPI um, in the second half, but yeah, six fourteen left in the second quarter uh, was JJ McCarthy's last attempt, and he only finished with ten fewer yards than the five star quarterback, the number one quarterback in the country who came to town last year. Brought in by this offensive coordinator, Mike Yersich. And before we talk about Drew Aller, I think we've got to talk about the offensive coordinator here. This is a, a third-year play caller. Um, last year, they found something really impressive with that ground game. Obviously, Sean Clifford played the cleanest football of his career. They got to the finish line with 11 wins, with a Rose Bowl win. And really, at that point, with, with one of the most impressive rushing attacks in the country. 2021, though, they had one of the worst rushing attacks in the country. In 2023... They have two of the worst offensive performances that have been put on display in any marquee matchup of this college football season. Big Ten, SEC, it doesn't matter. I don't care who you are. When people are tuning in to watch college football, people who may not be keeping their finger on the pulse, and they're just going to say, what's up with Penn State this year? I'm going to give them a half hour of my time to see what's up. This is what they've seen from the offense. This is an offense that has had 10 second half possessions against Michigan and Ohio State facing a one-score deficit. So in this conversation, I'm discluding when they have the ball late here and they're down and they're down by a couple scores and, and you get Theo Johnson in the end zone. I'm discluding when you're down 20 to 6 in Columbus with two minutes left and Caden Wallace scores with, with less than a minute remaining. 
We're talking about where you are down by one score. And so you have the ball in your hands and you can either tie it or take the lead against Ohio State or Michigan in the second half of what you know is make or break football for you. In those 10 possessions, eight punts, five, five, half of those possessions end in a three and out. You get three plays, then you punt the football away. You had a fumble today out of the hands of Drew Aller early in the third quarter, which really changed the momentum of this matchup. Uh, and then you had a fourth down stop as well against Ohio State, which led to their touchdown that, that kind of broke that game wide open. That has been Penn State's offense when faced when its biggest moments of the season, programming, pro program defining moments potentially. I mean, it's, it's, you can't say it's bad. It's just almost a no show situation. Half of those possessions end in a three and out. Yeah. It, I think that that's just a, a systemic failure of the offense in the second half. I mean, it's what we talked about. This defense stands on its head. You, know, you have the fourth down at the goal line uh, against Ohio State. You saw them today. Uh, guys like Adisa Isaac, Denai Dennis Sutton, getting into the backfield over and over again um, and, and getting the offense the ball back with a chance to do something. And this offense just does nothing with it. It gets behind the sticks. Uh, Drew Aller turns a first and five into a third and 16 uh, today in just a, a very, very dismal sequence where you get called for an intentional grounding penalty off of a flea flicker. It's just these, the offense is just, bad in the in the second half of these games and it's just like you put so much on that defense and eventually they break um and then you're in an even deeper hole um and it's just penn state has just put itself in these bad positions in these big games over and over and over again but i thought that james franklin said something pretty pointed and interesting after the game in terms of that drew aller just never got into a rhythm because of how they were calling the game um, and I think that that's something that we've really, really seen. Um, the one sequence that I think really stands out, um, was, I believe it was the second quarter. Katron Allen has a nine yard run, uh, to set up second and inches, second and one, you throw uh, a pass to Malik mega who we've barely seen at all in big 10 play that loses a yard. Um, and then I think drew Aller kept on third down. I, I forget the, what the third down was, but it puts you in fourth and inches and you punt. And it's just like you did something that worked and then you just got away. It was a that. keep, by the way, Daniel, just keep. to clarify. Yes. After that, after the negative one yard pass to, to Mega, which was an off target throw, a short off target throw, Aller then rushes on a third and two. Again, Katron Allen is still in the field. He's, he's still yeah. involved in your offense. He's a guy who's running through people for much of the season, uh, but, but he was tucked away in that moment. And when asked directly about that moment, James Franklin referenced the pass and said that was a run play but it was called into a uh, it was called into a pass as an option um but he didn't he didn't allude to that third down which was a drew aller rush uh but that that's where that drive ended and that was one of the many three and outs that we saw and, and in this case that ultimately did lead to michigan's touchdown a 22 yard touchdown run for donovan edwards which made it 14 to 3. so that was a bit of a, a you know quick moment to, to get on and off the field all of a sudden your defense is on its heels and we saw Michigan kind of assert itself, take that 11-point lead. I Sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to yeah. kind of set the stage a little bit better. I know you, I had it right in front of me, so I figured I might as well. Yeah, and I think that when you talk about Drew Aller not getting into rhythm, it's things like that that show that this offense as a whole has no rhythm. I think we've seen it a couple glimpses this year. You talk about that field goal drive at Ohio State where Nick Singleton carried three times for 42 yards. Uh, we saw it earlier today 
uh, where Nick Singleton got the bulk of his yards in the game today uh, on Penn State's, uh, I believe, field goal or scoring drive in, in the first half. Like you see these things that work for Penn State and then you don't see them come up again. Um, and it's just very, very confusing to see. Uh, you see these trick plays at different times. You see these decisions in the red zone. Uh, these types of things over the course of a game when you're going up against a superior opponent or opponent that is on your level is evenly matched. These things really build up. And it just I think that Penn State has just dug themselves in a hole um, in these games and they haven't been able to dig out of it. I don't know if that's a product of not being the aggressor, not being the ones to try to set the tone early. I talked about it after the Ohio State game. I felt like that in the early going, they were on their heels a little bit. Um, and then I think it was kind of a similar thing today. You have another instance where you're lining up to go for it on fourth down. You call a timeout and then you punt out of it. I, I think that having something like that happen in a game like today, I think that that just shows how disconnected things are and how there's just really no rhythm even beyond Drew Aller. You mentioned a disconnection there, and, and and maybe there's a disconnection in the aggressive manner because we saw James Franklin, and, and they elected to go for two when it was a 14-9 game at that point. And he explained that he was asked about both of the two-point attempts because not only was there that one, there was one at the very end of this matchup where if Penn State just goes ahead and boots the extra point through, yes, you need an onside kick. Yes, that is very difficult to do, but it's an eight-point deficit, and we know that that keeps you in the game a little bit longer. In this case, uh, on that two-point conversion, they elected to send all five offensive linemen uh, out wide, um, preceding Drew Allard. I'm sorry, four. I guess they had one guy snapping the ball, right? Uh, Drew Allard. No, I think it was. I think Tyler Warren snapped the ball. So I, I think all, on that one. It, all it, it five of them were out there. a peculiar situation where you've got all the offensive linemen ending up at wide. Uh, Drew Allard throws a pass that ends up incomplete with, with Theo Johnson, and then you're heading the sideline, and you're on sidekick team. You're trying to get them fired up for a – Nine-point deficit. I know that maybe doesn't matter, getting guys fired up or whatnot, but all, you've taken that one-possession aspect out of the game with under two minutes to go. So, Daniel, you, you, those are some aggressive moves. Uh, James Franklin talked about feeling the need early on to, to find a way to chase – I don't want to – he didn't say chase points, but you know, kind of you know, needing points and, and trying to find ways to get them and trying to make it a three-point game at 14-11 versus a, a four-point game at 14-10. And when you're thinking that way in the second quarter, three points versus four points, you know that's a pretty aggressive mentality. What did you make of what we heard from James Franklin? I don't think we got – necessarily a clear answer on, on, on the, the last one uh, about the two-point conversion that made it uh, that would have made it a seven-point game versus a nine-point game. Um, but what did you make of his answer generally? I thought that going for the first one, I totally understood that. I think that in football, the way that the scoring works, not a whole lot of difference between four and five. There's no four-point plays. There's no five-point plays. That That's kind of a no-man's land right there. Um, and I think that the logic that we saw from James Franklin, that if you get down 14-11, you can tie the game with a field goal. Um, and then we saw it still kind of working out for Penn State, where they were able to hold uh, Michigan to a field goal uh, in the second half. So it was a 17-9 game. You're still within a touchdown. Um, I, was, I was fine with that. Um, I thought that it was good to see something aggressive from Franklin early on. Um, on top of that, you're going into halftime. I think that touchdown was with 29 seconds left, and you're getting the ball first uh, out of the break. So you have the opportunity that if you get the two-point conversion there, 
take that momentum, get a drive going in the second half. You can be in a position to tie or even take the lead um, and make it an 18-14 game and put Michigan in that no man's land a little bit. Um, so I, I like that call. I was fine with that. Um, I thought it was good to see something aggressive like that from Franklin in a big game. Um, and at the same time, we've seen Franklin be aggressive in situations like this before against Michigan. I think about that fake field goal attempt uh, two years ago. That was something I brought up on Thursday's podcast. And this felt a little bit different because it was in the game flow. It wasn't a trick play trying to catch something off guard. Um, but yeah, that last two-point conversion uh, was very, very confusing to me. I didn't really think James Franklin's answer was sufficient for that. Um, you know, when you're down nine, like you're asking your team to get two onside kick recoveries in a minute and 59 seconds. And we know how rare getting one is um, that just did not track with me. I, I think that you kick the field goal there, you go down 24, 16. Um, and even if you, uh, you know, even if you don't convert the onside kick, you can put it in a position where you maybe force Michigan into a long field goal. Maybe you force them to punt. Maybe you put yourself in a position to get the ball back with a little bit of time left. So you at least have a chance. Um, I, and the way that the offense was going too, I mean, that team's not scoring twice in a minute 59. I mean, it took them, you know, more than 30 minutes to score twice between the second quarter and the fourth quarter. So I just did not, did not see that, did not understand it. Um, and then on top of that, the play call was really, really poor. Um, it, Penn State in some of these situations against Ohio State, against Michigan, they go to the well with these trick plays and it just like, it, it feels so forced off of what they normally do. And I think that that's kind of a, that's been a thing with the Nittany Lions where you see them in these big games and whether it's James Franklin coaching differently, Mike Yersich coaching differently, uh, a different kind of game plan, it seems like they get, you know, a little bit away uh, from who they are. I mean, doing it here and there, sure. Like the fourth down play of Katron Allen throwing it to Drew Aller, that was a nice little wrinkle uh, off of the T formation with that yeah. personnel group. And it's something different. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, like we, we see this. Um, and even we saw other tendency breakers with how much Drew Aller was running today. But I, I don't know. I mean, some of these trick plays in some of these spots, I know I'm on a tangent. You know, you're just taking the ball out of some of your playmakers' hands and putting it in an uncomfortable situation. But you know, to go back to those two-point conversions, at the end of the Ohio State game, down down eight, going for two there, that's the right choice. Um, I thought that going for it in the first half here was a good decision to put yourself in a position to get points. You're thinking ahead a little bit of how the game is going to go, but I'm still lost on, on the fourth quarter down nine. I just thought, boy, you've kind of just put together a disaster class on offense in the two biggest games you, of, of your season, and and you're gonna run this play. I mean, you're telling this is a cherry on top for two here. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's a that's that's a lot. I mean, that that, that that's ballsy. I'm just gonna put it out there <laughs> to, to, to run to go out and say we're not gonna put an offensive lineman in front of Drew Aller. We you don't have any benefit of the doubt as an offensive play caller right now. Yeah. And so for that to be your Parting shot to the Beaver Stadium crowd. Hey, here's a two-point conversion. And you know, you you know as a staff, if you elect to go for a two-point conversion there, you're not waiting for the onside kick to say, okay, if we don't get this onside kick, 
our college football playoff goals that we've been talking about since Pasadena last January are done. You're saying if we don't get this two-point conversion right now with two minutes to go, it's over. That part of our dream is done, what we've been talking about for 10 months. And so you say, dial it up, Mike. Uh, assuming Mike Yersich just calls up the play, and they say, let's go with the play that doesn't involve an offensive lineman standing in front of Drew Aller. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry. If you want to think about in a vacuum what that play might look like, cool. But, I mean, have some awareness about the situation. Understand where that puts Mike Yersich, where that exposes James Franklin. That exposes the offense to even more criticism in a matchup where they had plenty of it, and you elected to do this, and I think that just really – really kind of throw some egg on the faces of fans in a way because they're just wondering, okay, what are we missing here? Because where is your confidence coming that you're going to dial up the right play against this Michigan defense after failing to come up with it in 58 minutes of regulation? So there, there is a really tough, like you said, a disconnect there. And I think ultimately when we look at this offense, of course, uh, Mike Yersich and, and Drew Aller have been working together here since January of 2022. Uh, and Mike Yersich was the guy who offered him when I think he was still a composite three-star. And then we talked about that whole ascension and what that relationship meant getting him here when, when a team like Ohio State tries to keep him around home early or late in the game. Um, here it is, though. This is a, this is start number 11 for, for Mr. Aller. I'm sorry, start number 10 for Mr. Aller at the college level. And again, like I said in, in our pregame show, the stats still look pretty. I mean, the stats still look nice. He's got a touchdown run, a touchdown pass today. That's 25 total touchdowns on the season, one interception, one fumble. You look at the, the, the that stat sheet and you say that's pretty good. But then you think under 50% against Ohio State, under 50% against Michigan. The, the third downs, that's attributed to your offensive coordinator. That's attributed to your coaching staff. It's also attributed to your quarterback because he's the guy who's facilitating this offense on the field, and he has to make those decisions. They were in a little bit more manageable of a situation today on third downs, Daniel. I think it was an uh, average of third and, and just about six, third and like 5.8, where it was like third and 7.2 out at Ohio State, which is a really untenable spot. You know, they went one and 16 at Ohio State. They go four or 14 here. Either way, it's not good enough. And ultimately, you're left wondering about Drew Aller, who comes up with a 70-yard pass performance today, uh, struggled on the road against Ohio State, 18 of 42 passing that day, struggled for the most part against Indiana before Young Corks that touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith. Phenomenal looking against Maryland last week, but right now that looks like an aberration for this passing attack overall based on what we've seen through two and a half months at this stage. And you're left wondering, Drew Aller's got a lot of football left to play in his college career. But a lot of the conversation that you and I and everybody else around uh, Penn State football was having, if your defense plays a game like this against Michigan, and if your defense plays a game like that against Ohio State, and if you got the opposing quarterback who is a Heisman Trophy candidate in some people's opinion, not completing a pass for the final 36 minutes of a game, isn't this the quarterback that's supposed to be able to win that game? And this is where we're kind of left right now with Drew Aller. I know a lot of it's going to go on Mike Yersich. He's a grown man who makes a lot of money. And this is his third year on campus. And James Franklin put a lot on the line firing Kirk Shiraka and bringing in Mike Yersich in one fell swoop. And by the way, Kirk Shiraka comes back to town with Rutgers next week as their offensive coordinator. And the drama continues. But, man, we, we got to talk about Drew Aller here. The stats are pretty he looks fantastic out there with the football in his hands on the practice field and the games, but he has had two step up and step up and, and prove it moments. And wherever we want to put the eggs in the basket of blame, QB one has to take some of it. You look at these last 16 quarters that Penn state has played. And I guess it's really 15 because Allard didn't play much uh, late against Maryland. Um, but you have three quarters and then like, 
what, like two minutes against Indiana to really hang your hat on for of good performance from Drew Aller. I mean, it's been more than 11 quarters uh, of him struggling. And it just feels like that. I, I think today we saw a little bit, we saw more of what we saw against Ohio State in terms of Aller not being on the same page as his receivers, some of those incompletions where you're trying to figure out who he was targeting and there's just nobody there. They um, call the time they call a timeout on that that play before they punt what we, we talked about earlier. There's mm-hmm. some miscommunication with Cephas. Uh, Cephas was getting a couple different spots. He keeps calling him closer. Eventually, you get a timeout from the sideline and they punt the ball. And you just wonder if those guys are on the same page, what becomes of that moment? Yeah, I I think that it's something like James Franklin said uh, during the Ohio State game, which is an explanation that I don't necessarily um, agree with in terms of having that momentum and feeling like you've got something rolling and then you have to push pause and then you feel like that you lost what was behind you. Um, I feel like that that's a similar situation to what happened there. Uh, Franklin was not asked about that uh, post game. Um, but I think that you look at it and something like that is just so emblematic. And it's two guys who have really been in the spotlight this off season and into this season. There's Drew Aller, who we've talked about ad nauseum as what we thought he could be. We thought that he could be the type of quarterback that elevates you and wins these types of games for you and is the difference in a game like this. That's what five stars are supposed to be. Uh, We know that they're on both sides in this game. J.J. McCarthy was also a five-star, but he made the plays. He didn't didn't have to throw the ball in the second half, but he was making plays with his legs. He was moving the chains. He was making the right decisions, keeping uh, keeping Michigan on the field. Uh, And then on the other side, you have Drew Aller, who can't get that done. And then you have Dante Cephas, who was supposed to be another one of those pieces that takes this offense to the next level. I think we heard it all this offseason with the way that James Franklin talked about wide receiver in terms of looking for guys to step up, needing guys to step up. Um, Maybe it's kind of a maybe it was almost sort of a warning from James Franklin about this group. But Dante Cephas was viewed as someone who could really, really make up for that we saw what he did at kent state we know the type of player that he was there we saw what he did when he faced big 10 sec competition when he was down there it just hasn't happened this year he had those two catches at at maryland you thought he got it figured out and then you're just there and it's like what we saw against northwestern when he was blocking when drew aller was trying to throw to him like just not being on the same page there having to burn a timeout having to punt having to give up the ball um it's just another moment that you look at in this game as just a very, very just it just does not reflect well on your team, on your offense, on your program, on your operation. Um, and there are a lot of those moments today. Dante Cephas really quickly hit uh, the six catches for 53 yards and two touchdowns against Maryland. We're talking about the other three games that have been around this, the Ohio State loss, the Indiana scare and the Michigan loss in those three games collectively. Six total catches, 54 yards, no scores. Uh, Those two touchdowns against Maryland remain his only touchdowns in a Nittany Lions uniform. But generally, I I mean, maybe we didn't put enough stock into some of that miscommunication stuff early on and and just some of the offensive, uh, uh, the lack of cohesion, because a a big emphasis for me and not 
picking Penn State in our pregame show was that I felt like J.J. McCarthy was going to have firm control and, and a grip of that, that, of that offense. And on the road against a defense like that, I thought that was going to be the edge that Michigan needed. I, I also thought that Penn State was going to make this a, a, a very competitive game where they would have the ball in their hands and maybe 20 points on the board and have a chance to go win it. And then Drew Aller would have to make plays and, and really never got to that point because, I mean, 70 passing yards. It's just 70 passing yards is is a number that unless you run the ball like Michigan was and you're throwing the ball eight times and you're just pounding it, we saw this this ground game early on probably look about as, as good as it had for much of this season. We saw uh, between Nick Singleton and Catron Allen go uh, 15 carries, 79 yards in the first half. That's about 5.3 yards average combined against this defense, the number one scoring defense, number one total yardage defense in the country, as we know. Um, last year against Michigan, those two had collectively combined for 12 carries and 35 yards. That's under a three-yard average. So you're like, this is, even though the passing stats weren't good, I think Drew Aller was like three of seven at halftime for 30-some yards. You're like, this team's moving the ball on the ground. The rest of the game, seven total carries, 42 yards uh, for Catron Allen and Nick Singleton combined. That, that featured a long run from Catron Allen, 34-yard run. Um, but again, two guys here that are on a day where you can't bank on your receivers. It's not working for the tight ends. I mentioned this against Ohio State, and maybe this is me just simplifying what is a very complicated job of coaching offensive football in college. I understand that. I never pretend to be the X's and O's guru, but I do know that when you recruit players and that when you put together a personnel plan from last January all the way through the second week of November, you need to showcase your talent and you need to get the ball in the in the hands of the players who deliver and can win you championships. But first they got to win you games and first they got to pick up first downs and score touchdowns and Catron Allen. And on a day where Nick Singleton was looking a little bit more like the guy that we used to see run the football, especially I thought just working his way through some tackles and finishing forward they just didn't really ever get a chance to develop their momentum. We talk about the rhythm for Mr. Aller. There has really not been any opportunity for rhythm for Katron Allen or Nick Singleton for much of the season. Part of that is ineffectiveness on their ends, particularly Nick Singleton. But this was a matchup where it felt like both guys were showing the staff, hey, I got something today. Hey, hey, feed me the football. And both times in each of their cases, it was like, well, we're going to drift away now. I, I know that it was something that we talked about during the week with what Catron Allen did against Maryland last week, how he looked, especially down the stretch, and what Penn State has done in terms of managing their running backs and alternating starters uh, there over the course of the season. We know that Penn State views them as co-starters, but the way that it's been managed is you see one guy get the first quarter one week, another guy get it the next week, more or less. Um, and when you saw Nick Singleton get the start and kind of where he was in the rotation, it maybe made you wonder a little bit, but I thought by the end of the first quarter, you were kind of like, oh, OK, like Nick Singleton, he's here. He's got some juice like he isn't going to be a liability for your offense. And then you see Katron Allen come in um, and you see what he's able to do um, and you saw you see him running well. But I think that maybe against uh, Indiana, maybe against Maryland, like you could lean on those guys you for a whole game and not really have to worry about drew Aller. Like you weren't going to be able to do that uh, against Michigan today. You know, even if those guys were running like they were doing last November, I think that you were still going to need drew Aller to make some plays. And you brought up the kind of the contrast between what Michigan ended up asking JJ McCarthy to do and what Penn state 
kind of ended up in their situation of what they needed from Drew Aller. And I think that Michigan adjusted very nicely to what Penn State was doing uh, defensively, but also to the game flow. We saw J.J. McCarthy be under duress uh, in, in the beginning. I think that, what was it, like maybe the one of the early snaps of the game, Chop Robinson gets back there. I know that he had a third down hurry, denied Dennis denied Sutton. Sutton denied Third. Dennis Sutton, who played his ass off again, yes. brought him down early, and it was like, okay, they're, they're, they're rattling the ringleader here, and Jim Harbaugh's not on the sideline, and you're just wondering, you know, this is the lightning, this is the guy for Michigan today, J.J. McCarthy, and they were getting at him early. You're right. Exactly. And then I then if you're Michigan and you see what Penn State is doing offensively and you kind of realize that Drew Aller – isn't really going to beat you and that your defense is going to be able to shut things mostly down and kind of dictate the terms of the game. You look back on the other side and you can run the ball. I know that what they finished with 4.9 yards per carry as a team quorum was at 5.2 Donovan Edwards at at, quorum at 5.6 Edwards at 5.2 they're good running backs. They're going to get theirs. I thought they got, their, they got explosive plays, Daniel. They got it. Yeah. They got explosive plays from the ground game. That was the difference. I mean, Donovan Edwards had a 22 yard touchdown run. He had nine carries for 30 yards the rest of the way. Uh, yeah. Blake Corum had a 44 yard touchdown run. He had a couple other long runs, but it wasn't like he was gashing them like there was last year. And, and, and by the way, through this game, now, now through 10 games, Penn State's still number one in the Big Ten in rushing yards allowed. But this is just, I mean, the dam was going to open with that ground game eventually. Yeah, and I just kind of feel like that Michigan kind of realized maybe halfway through the second quarter and, and into the third quarter that, like, they could win this game with 17 points, 20 points. Like, I, I think that that was a very kind of real um, look at things. I mean, you think about that long drive that they had uh, for the touchdown that – uh, where they only ran the ball. I think maybe they kicked the field goal, where J.J. McCarthy ran for the the first down on, on fourth down. Um, I, I think you think about that drive, and like they ran it on third down a bunch, which means that they were fine. Taking he had a big points. run on third and long, too, on, on, the, on the touchdown drive, a back-breaking third and long run um, by J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, and there is like – and. We talked about I talked about some of the players after the game where on third and long Penn State came out in the Prowler package and Michigan ran against it, which we hadn't seen teams do this year. And they had success. And so I think that Michigan was kind of at a point where they saw how their defense was playing and they kind of realized that they could win with 17, 20, 24 points. Um, And I think that that's kind of what they started to play for. And they were kind of like, all right, like we're going to dictate the terms of this and Penn State you know, couldn't overcome that and just kind of let them dictate it the rest of the game. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Look, they, they had uh, Roman Wilson uh, you know, the, on, on the field. He was the, the guy that had the most touchdown passes of anyone not named Marvin Harrison <laughs> Jr. in Big Ten play today. Uh, he didn't do anything today. And, and you know, but and you did no one catch more than two passes. I mean, J.J. McCarthy was seven of eight passing for 60 yards. It looks like a first quarter box score. That was his <laughs> entire game line against Penn State because they decided, let's see if we can get away with giving it to Blake Corum and occasionally Donovan Edwards and pounding with our ground game. Um, and, and they've proven that in the past. They've won big champions, Big Ten championships off that kind of an approach. But they made an adjustment. And Penn State, who does not have any kind of track record to say, well, we've done this. Well, we, we've worked our way through this in games before. We've come to the other side. They did not adjust. And they did not say, you know what, let's give Katron Allen a series here to show what he can do. And let's give him the ball repeatedly. Not give him the ball on first down to set up a second and short and then get the ball out of his hands. Let's give this guy a chance to take over. Blake Corm can do it. And we've been telling everybody that will listen since last January that, no, it's us. We're the team that has the best tandem of running backs in college football. Well, today I saw one offensive coaching staff put all their trust in that ground game. And on a day where I felt like this Penn State offensive line was at least reaching some kind of stalemate, if you know, I thought overall the offensive line put together a pretty good body of work today. Didn't really give you a lot of red flags that were getting overwhelmed and buried in the backfield. Penn State staff conversely elected not to lean into its running back tandem and decided to go to the well with a passing game here that unfortunately we're through 10 games. You got to be realistic about where it's at and where this receiver room is at. Uh, and and we saw the calamity offensively once again. And you're left wondering what happened to that plan in August that we were told about. Now, we want to be the team that runs the ball when everyone knows you want to run the ball. We still want to be able to, you know, no matter where Drew Aller's career goes, we want to know that our bedrock is with Katron and with Nick and what those guys can do. And somewhere along the way, that has gone awry. And on a couple of occasions here against Ohio State, against Michigan, where everyone in the stadium, everyone watching at home can see your young quarterback starting to flounder a little bit, starting to see his control maybe slip away a little bit. What's better for a reset than to give the ball to these experienced backs and say, take a few carries, give Drew a second, and let's see where we stand when the dust settles. They never gave him that kind of a moment, I didn't feel like, in this second half or in the second half at Ohio State. And, and I feel like that was missing. That kind of an effort was missing. Uh, I 
Yeah, I think that Aller never had the chance to catch his breath, never had the chance to kind of maybe take a step back on things. And I think that this in this game, you saw him spiral a little bit more in the second half than than what you did uh, against Ohio State um, late in that game. I think that you look at that Ohio State game and it was just kind of like the cumulative pressure of it. Everything just built up all of those three and outs like nothing working at all. I think that that kind of built out and kind of crushed uh, the Penn State offense. Whereas today, I mean, things were working like here and there. You know, Drew Aller hits Caden Saunders for that 13-yard gain on a fourth down. And you're like, oh, like these are two guys connecting. Uh, you know, Aller looked good. It was a nice throw. Um, you, you saw him hit Tyler Warren a couple times on, on nice plays. And you're kind of like, okay, like you can see some stuff there. You could see some stuff from the running game but Penn state was never able to connect it. And then you get into that fourth quarter and it felt like that, you know, this was a time where I thought that drew Aller was trying to, to make the plays and he felt like he needed to, but I think it got a little too much. I mean, he airmails that one that almost got intercepted, or I think we all thought it was intercepted that gets overturned. Um, you know, there were some bad misses. There, there were yeah. bad. I mean, it's like it, it, you see a pitcher throwing throw some days, and you you may not see him other days. He's an ace, and you just say he doesn't have it today. Drew Aller, for whatever reason, did not have it today, and you combine that with the scheme and the, and the plan that was put around him and what was kind of put on his shoulders, particularly his right shoulder, and 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 you just wonder what what were we missing up there? That that what 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 were they missing? There's just something where you, you you're going to that well over and over and over again. And we're watching them keeping giving, you know, punting the ball and punting the ball. And, and okay, can this defense stop them again? Oh, wow, the defense stopped them again. Okay, here's another punt. It's just like it was remarkable not to see whether it's Franklin or Yursich up on the press box or just kind of a, a powwow kind of moment. It didn't happen at halftime, I guess, but just where you would have seen at least one possession look like it was different and they were trying something different. Um, and maybe they did. And it's just a nuance that, that you and I aren't going to pick up from, from eye in the sky and, and, and not being film junkies, but ultimately to me, I mean, again, not getting the ball and some of your key playmakers and, and, and Gounder Lambert Smith, we made it this far <laughs> yeah. one catch, six yards, one catch for six yards. Uh, and, and, and you looked at the collectively what this receiver room accomplished in, in these two games everyone's been talking about the biggest games of the year all year you brought in a wide receivers coach last year for games like this i mean you think that everything james franklin does at this point in some way shape or form is motivated to get through michigan and ohio state and, and that includes firing a wide receivers coach and bringing in a, another receivers coach as they did and, and as we talked about adding eight new scholarship players to this receiver room since 2022 Here's what you got from the room in terms of production against Ohio State and Michigan again in 2023. Gondre Lambert-Smith had seven catches for 58 yards. Dante Cephas had four catches for 59 yards. Caden Saunders, three catches, 38 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Harrison Wallace, who missed today's game, two catches for 19 yards. Liam Clifford, one catch for seven yards. Malik Mega, one catch for negative one yards. And I think back to what James Franklin told us, I believe it was one of the first days of spring camp and where he felt like his offense could take the next step. Because at that point, we all figured this is going to be one of the nation's premier rushing attacks. You've got this ascending figure who can touch every blade of grass in the football field with his rocket arm. What is going to happen out receiver? And James Franklin talked about you know being proactive, bringing in some transfer players. He said that's the position, the, the most dynamic position on the field that you can change the complexion of your offense or a game. Because if you make one man miss on the outside versus a guy like Nick Singleton who's got to make three or four or five of them miss in a, in a bunch of traffic, 
all of a sudden you're going 80 yards for a touchdown. And he pointed to the, the teams that have changed. We talked about Alabama. You, know, you, think, you think about Alabama being running back, running back, running back. Well, they've got some explosive wide receivers over the years who have changed the complexion of games. And we've seen some of those guys here at Penn State. They've gone on to the NFL. But here we go. When it mattered most, 120 minutes of football, I just read what you got out of the receiver position. And James Franklin knew this was one of the primary priorities when they got off that plane after winning the Rose Bowl last January, when they put together their plan of how are we going to get this roster to where we need it to be? How am I getting my staff to where it needs to be? And I just can't imagine right now the disappointment he must be feeling and, and anger in some ways, but also probably a lot of self-reflection on what has happened with this position room and how it attaches to what has not happened with Drew Aller and what has not happened with this offense. And it's a little bit of a chicken and egg conversation, but we all knew this could be a spot that could hold the team back if it wasn't right. And here we are. And I don't want to put it all on that receiver group because the quarterback was had some bad misses today, but these guys aren't producing. And, and, and when your top, your top receiver has under 60 yards combined in these two games, that just speaks volumes. And all of a sudden you're, I guess you're going to hit another off season and you're going to kind of be back to square one and, and some, and honestly, you're going to have be a little bit behind because you've got a lot of guys on this roster now who are going to be a year or two or three or four into their career, and it hasn't come to fruition for them. So it's going to be even more of a dice year situation come this December and January when James Franklin has to, you know, figure things out again. Maybe James Franklin was trying to warn us a little bit about this wide receiver group, and maybe we didn't really listen. I, I think that I said this after the Ohio State game where I believe that. I originally believe that Drew Aller was someone who raises the ability of everyone around him of, you know, raises the level of these receivers, tight ends, everyone. But I, I think that the moral of the story is you still have to have a good supporting cast around your quarterback, um, especially at the position that he interacts with the most, but it's just been really disappointing. I think, uh, you know, Keandre Lambert Smith was pretty invisible today. Um, I mean, you, you just look at the, look at the box score right now and it's two for 11 for Cephas, one for 13 for Saunders, one for six for Lambert Smith. It's just like, there was really no one that it felt like there was no one that they were really trying to feed no one that they were looking to in terms of game planning. Like, all right, we like this matchup in the back end. We're going to get this guy open. Um, and we saw uh, Drew throw one up to Cephas uh, in the red zone again, you know, that worked twice last week. It's still kind of a, uh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if it's technically a low percentage throw, but it's one of those throws that from the naked eye that, you know, you really have to be perfect or your wide receiver has to make a really kind of transcendent play or catch uh, to make it work. And we saw Cephas do that last week with kind of that first one in terms of getting the ball with his one hand, getting the foot down um, and being able to survive the ground. And um, so when you're throwing it up there, it's kind of like you need a lot of stuff to go right. Um, and I think that that's something that we've seen from this passing game where it is just so hard. It feels like everything needs to go right. Everything needs to be perfect. Um, that Maryland game last week really felt like the only time where Aller was attempting these hard throws or that like, okay, like someone's not wide open, but he's still trying to throw the ball. Um, I think that Aller, I, I think that we all were looking for him to take a step from last week uh, with what he did against Maryland, the degree of difficulty that it seemed like on some of those throws. Um, and he just kind of reverted back to what we saw at Ohio state and in the early going at Indiana. 
Um, and you know, two two more things on Aller. I mean, the first is when when you talk about kind of the miscommunications and, and being off target today, when the stat crew is trying to figure out who to give the target to uh, after a pass, that that's never good. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I don't know if people are, are going to like hearing this, but it kind of reminded me of a Sean Clifford performance in that fourth quarter in terms of you talk about things starting to get away um, from a quarterback, things starting to get away um, from Penn State. I think about that Ohio State game last year uh, in the fourth quarter where it seemed like once Clifford made that first mistake, uh, then things just kind of really, really started to go. Fumble, interception, uh, just the mistakes really started to build up. And while it wasn't quite to the same degree with Aller today, it did feel really similar to me where it's like this guy is fighting the game right now. He's not letting anything come to him. He feels like he can't let anything come to him. Um, and he feels like that he's forcing things, which is kind of the, you know, I feel like listening to James Franklin talk about his quarterbacks these these past couple of years, it was with Clifford, it was always, he's super fiery. Sometimes he needs to settle down. And with Aller, it's, he's always poised. Nothing phases him. I think today we really saw him phased in that fourth quarter um, and really you know, starting to, to force things a little bit. Now, that was just something that, I could kind of feel as as the game kept going, as those three and outs started building up, as it became a two score game. Yeah, you referenced uh, you know the, the Sean Clifford and, and some of the situations, but Sean Clifford has also led this team in, in some crunch moments to, to yeah. wins. We haven't seen Drew Aller do that yet, and we're almost through yeah. a full cu- uh, regular season. They have won eight games, and Drew Aller has spent much of the fourth quarter in all eight of those wins, watching Bo Perbula run around and scramble and and the team. Speaking of someone we didn't see today, what's that? <laughs> Speaking of someone we didn't see today. Yeah, we didn't see any any, any involvement from Bo, and, and we thought that that use of the package against Maryland was going to set the stage for Michigan. I wonder if kind of the uh, – it didn't look so pretty against Maryland if that kind of said, okay, we're, we're not going to mess with this on, on the on the big stage against Michigan. But then again, we did see Catron Allen throw a pass to Drew Aller, <laughs> and we saw the team run the two-point conversion that it absolutely 100% had to have without an offensive lineman in front of the quarterback. So – what am I saying? I don't know anymore. Um, but Daniel, I think I think we do have to give some love to the defense um, because this is a group that played certainly well enough to win uh, under the direction of Manny Diaz in, in, in both of these marquee matchups. They gave, I thought, Ohio State for much of that game. And, and part of that is because I just don't think this is as high level of a Buckeyes offense as we've seen in recent years. But that was as pedestrian as a Buckeyes offense has looked against Penn State uh, because of the way they performed on the road in Columbus. And then today, I mean, you had a matchup where I, I, I think that, you know, Michigan, you were just waiting for that long run from Corum, which eventually came because of the way this game lined up when you're giving them so many chances to, you know, to knock on the door because of what your offense is not accomplishing. And uh, it's just hard to, to, to kind of fault them for, for letting that, that late touchdown in. And ultimately, I would factor in, you know, the offense is, is the reason why these games end up a little more lopsided late because the, the, the offense fails to come up with the fourth down in their own territory at Ohio State. Ohio State takes the ball, then scores a touchdown. You go 13-6 to 20-6. to And in this case, again, Penn State fails to convert. Uh, they, they, they fail to convert. Uh, they give the ball back to Michigan. And Michigan, after you know four or five opportunities, they finally take one down your throat, and then suddenly it's a two-possession game. Um, so, again, this defense, Daniel, it's kind of sad because there's a lot of of years where you, you, you 
know this defense will be remembered uh, and for what they accomplished. But because they lost in the biggest games of the year, it's going to be more remembered for what the offense failed to produce in these matchups versus what the defense brought to the field. And that's just the way football works sometimes. But it ain't going to hurt Manny Diaz at the negotiating table. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that you think about that Ohio State game and it was Marvin Harrison Jr. beat you. He was the difference in the game. He, yeah, there was really no one else on that Ohio State offense really played spectacularly. Kate Stover had a couple nice catches, but, you know, from in terms of like the guy that was the difference, I mean, it was, it was Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, today, even though Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum put up some good numbers, they didn't really feel like the difference today. Uh, it felt like it was more of a, a team effort from Michigan in terms of how they beat Penn State. And I think that uh, Sharon Moore, I mean, did a fantastic job in a tough spot uh, with what happened for Michigan. And I think that we saw him do some pretty good things from a, a scheme standpoint that gave him a little bit of an edge over Manny Diaz. Um, we saw the runs against the Prowler. We saw them be able to get Blake Corum to the edge. We saw them be able to get Donovan Edwards um, in space a couple times. Um, they were able to kind of push the right buttons, um, where for most of the year we've seen Manny Diaz push the right buttons um, and and make, make all the right decisions, make all the right moves. Um, but I, I think that also coming into this game, you know that you're not really expecting to keep Michigan completely down. You're not expecting to you know, keep Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards down. I mean, I, I think that from uh, in terms of the way that you talk about it and motivation standpoint, it's we don't want these guys to gain a single yard. We don't want them to score a single point. But the reality of it is, is that this is a really talented offense. There's guys that are going to get theirs. Uh, it's just this, the question of not letting them get more than that. Um, and I thought for the most part, Penn State did that. Uh, but I, I do think that the offense, I, I think – I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that they wasted this defense's performance. Maybe you can go that far, but the defense had them in a position to win and they couldn't do it. Um, I think that one thing that was key for the defense, they couldn't force a turnover. Uh, they couldn't get the offense a short field. I thought that that was something that would really, really play a significant role in this game that if Daquan Hardy can get something going on a, on a punt return, if, uh, you know, if you can get a short field off an interception or a fumble or something along those lines, you know, there was at least one opportunity. I think Abdul Carter had the forced fumble um, and, and Penn state couldn't take advantage. Um, but you know, so much of what Manny Diaz does is, is predicated on getting those turnovers, you know, creating some havoc. Um, and they, they couldn't quite get those plays today. Um, and they needed them today with how the offense was playing. I, I think that if you get in, you know, an average performance from your offense with the way that the defense played today. I think we're looking at what we thought we would see, like 24-20, 24-21 in either direction. Uh, and we just didn't get that today. And I think that this defense, I think it's a thing where people are going to look and see giving up 24 to Michigan, giving up 20 to Ohio State, and be kind of like, like, ah, oh, like, yeah, kind of like, eh, like, those are points like whatever, but you know, watching it, you know, those weren't, that wasn't a 24 point performance. That wasn't a 20 point performance against Ohio state. Like this defense is, is really good. There's good players on it. A lot of NFL pros. Um, and they, they did what they could today. 
I mean, you wouldn't say it, so I will. They they wasted a a they wasted the defensive performance. It was it was completely wasted by the offense because this is another game. I mean, just think about it. You that 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 Ohio State game was uh, seven minutes or so to go in the fourth quarter. It's a 13-6 game in Columbus. That's an Ohio State defense that or offense that again this year maybe not so much, but they've got one of the best wide receivers we've ever seen play football. They've got. Uh, they've got a bunch of studs on the offensive side of the football. They're Ohio State, for God's sakes. Uh, and and you hold them to 13 points through it, pretty deep into that third uh, third quarter. Then your offense you know, gives up the ball inside your own territory. They get a quick touchdown off of it. It's a 20-6 to six game. You end up giving 20, 20 points to Ohio State. And then against Michigan, this is a matchup where it's 14-9. to nine. Uh, How far in this game? It's 14-9, to nine, and, and they got to muster a field goal drive with eight minutes, 13 plays, eight minutes to get that field goal for, for Michigan. And, and I'm just thinking, man, that looked really hard for a Wolverines team that, that has been, you know, piling up a bunch of points and really methodically working its way through opponents. And this defense, they're scraping and clawing to get 45 yards on 13 plays in eight minutes to make it a 17-9 game. And Michigan stuck at 17 points all the way into the final five minutes when they eventually get a 30-yard rush off another Penn State failure on offense. So I just think it was wasted. And 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 it's really a hard thing because, again, some, some parts of this team that we thought were going to be national championship – well, I don't know, national championship caliber, but certainly Big Ten championship caliber where we thought this team could get to Indianapolis – where we believe that this team was going to be in, in, in that conversation to break through and get into the college football playoff, part of it was the elite defense. And I think that has come out as exact, very much as we anticipated. You had Chop Rob, I mean, you had Chop Robinson back on the field today, disrupting things. You had Adiza Isaac with three sacks on the day, or I'm sorry, for three loss. tackles yeah. for loss on the day. Um, and you had Denai uh, Sutton with an early tone setting uh, sack and, and, and two tackles for loss. I mean, these guys showed up in a big way. Kobe King got extended run uh, at middle linebackers because they were going with a three man front, a uh, three man look at linebacker, not going so much five defensive backs against this Michigan offense as you'd expect. And I thought Kobe King showed why there was excitement about him. I thought he looked accountable out there. Unfortunately for the any lines defense when Kobe King came to the side and other guys were manning the mic position. It wasn't as effective against the run for Michigan in some key spots. But I thought overall today, when you look at what you can realistically ask your defense to accomplish against an Ohio State team or a Michigan team, I mean, even the final score is 24 points, 20 points. You, you kind of, you know, the, okay, that, that's not so bad. But in the context of this, Ohio State's got 13 points deep into the fourth quarter. And Michigan's got 17 points deep into the fourth quarter. And the rest of the way is just because your offense can't do a damn thing with the football. So I'm going to go so far as to say they didn't just waste a, a, a performance here that was worthy of winning the game for their defense. They wasted it a few weeks ago today. And overall, this offense, I think, has wasted a golden opportunity in James Franklin's era here. And what could have been a pivot point for the program, they've either missed that or they've pivoted in the wrong direction and the offense gets the blame. Yeah, I think that you sum it up right there really well in terms of what Penn State could have accomplished today. And the defense is a huge part of that, and they did their job. I think that the defense has done a good job for the most part this year of making it easy for the offense. Like the the way that the defense is playing, the offense hasn't had to do much this year. And even in the way that they're calling the offense, they're not even asking Drew Aller to do much this year. And it's just like, it just kind of keeps going where it's just like, we're not asking you to do much. We're not asking you to do much. And it gets to the certain point on offense where it's like, well, who are you asking to do anything? Like who, 
who was the one that's supposed to step up because we saw against Ohio State, Singleton and Allen didn't get a lot of run uh, in terms of opportunities. Um, but I think just back to this defense, it's, it's been so much fun to watch this year. Um, I think that the type of types of players that are there and with what Adisa Isaac has done now in his fifth year, second full year back from that torn Achilles, playing his way, I think, into a pretty, you know, pretty good uh, NFL draft conversation. Speaking of that, 24 uh, members of NFL teams, 24 people representing 16 NFL teams there today. Uh, there's GM of the Packers was there, assistant GM of the Steelers. Um, this game had a lot of eyes on it. And I think that Adisa Isaac is someone who on this stage really, really showed what he can do. Um, but when you're the Penn State defense and you've got all these guys playing at a high level um, in, in every single area of your defense, it's just kind of like, what more do you want them to do? I mean, I know that if you ask them, they'll say, oh, if the offense is going to score 15, we can only allow 14. But that's not really how that's not how football works. So I think that when we're really dissecting things um, at the end of the year, and I, I think we are kind of getting to the point now in these next two weeks where we can start to do some of that, um, mm-hmm. looking at this defense, squandering this type of outing from it, what they're able to do. I, I think that that's something that you're really going to regret doing um, when, when you think back to this year. I think as we and as we continue to do the autopsy now, you know, you pick up the second loss and, and where we are with college football playoff, you start to think of, you know, where are we at now and, and where's the team at? And I just think ultimately you got to go a little ways back now, Daniel, to the last time we saw Penn State in the thick of it in the final minute against Ohio State or a Michigan, you know, where, where everyone's tuning in and it's hanging in the balance. And I know they had, you know, an onside kick opportunity the last couple of weeks, although it was a nine point deficit. So what does it really matter this time around? But ultimately, I think you got to go back to 2019 where you had that real feel for it was a showcase game and Penn State's either winning it or they're right down the wire where they built a big lead against Michigan on, on a whiteout night when Sean Clifford was a first year starter. So, yeah, a long time ago, redshirt sophomore Sean Clifford. In fact, that was the night that his brother Liam Clifford committed to Penn State. He's now a redshirt sophomore. So that night they win. Uh, they beat Michigan. They, they hold off a late comeback from Shea Patterson, the Wolverines. And then 2020, they beat Michigan, but there's no one in the big house. I think at that point, Michigan's like one and four and, and Penn State's 0 and five. So, yeah, not exactly the buzz that, that we install today. And then 2021 happens and 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 you've got Ohio State and, and you've got Michigan and uh, neither of those games end up ultimately being super duper competitive for you. I mean, I, I'm sorry, the, the Michigan game hangs in the balance, but then you go to the, the Ohio State matchup. That one gets away from you late. And, and then 2022 happens and you get boat raced by Michigan. Uh, and, and then Ohio State, of course, is able to, to to get up on you late in the game and they win by a few possessions. And and so now here we are. And, and, and again, both times, every opportunity for this offense to get on the attack. So it just feels like we're, we're starting to fade in the rearview mirror from a time where Jim Harbaugh was going to the middle of the field here against either of these teams and, and, and shaking hands or or where really you came out of this game and felt like Penn State brought its A game. You know, there's been losses to Ohio State. I'm thinking of the, the 2018 matchup when Trace McSorley plays his heart out, and maybe you can question some calls, but Penn State brought it that night against Ohio State. They lost by one point. It, it's unfortunate, but it happened. That was the great two elite night. That was five years ago, and these games are seemingly becoming a little bit less competitive 
And now you're entering a new era of Big Ten play, and you've got USC and Washington and Oregon to deal with. And it's just a little bit of a dangerous situation where you thought maybe Penn State would be trending up or like starting to elbow the Buckeyes and the Wolverines and saying, yo, guys, it's a three-man show. And now you've got a big pack of top 25 caliber programs in this conference next year. And you just wonder, is Penn State going to get lost in that, in, that, in that group, or are they going to be able to, to rise to the surface? Because right now – it's not trending the way that I think that Penn State fans certainly hope that James Franklin envisioned it was. And you're not going to get a chance to play Michigan for a few years or a couple of years, and you're not going to get a chance to play Ohio State again until next year. In fact, this you're not going to really get a, get a marquee regular season game until next October. You got UCLA coming. You go to USC. Uh, I guess you got the West Virginia game next year. But, Daniel, th these opportunities are few and far between where you can capture the nation's attention and say, look at us, look what we can do. And in those two opportunities this year, Penn State has fallen flat on its face, and that's reflected on its head coach, who's in year 10, and you close the Big Ten East era, and this is kind of how it's going to be remembered for Penn State as being the also-ran, the team that that kind of you know is on the heels of Ohio State and Michigan, but you know once mid-November rolls around and we start making our shopping list for Thanksgiving, they're out of the equation. I think that you, you make an, a good point about how these games have gone against Ohio State and against Michigan these past couple of years. I mean, you, I remember I was at Penn Live and I, I wasn't covering Penn State, but I was adjacent to it. So I was following a lot of the coverage and it seemed like there was a stretch there where at least one of those games, you know, when McSorley and, and early in Sean Clifford's career, it seemed like it was a heavyweight fight when those two teams met, that it was exchanging blows, like one big play from one side, one big play from another um, really kind of going down to the wire a little bit. Um, and you look at how it's gone these past couple of years and Penn state just has not landed punches against, against these teams. Um, when, especially these past three years, I mean, I think about the, the game last year against Ohio state was closer than the, than that final score indicated. But the way that I look at that game is that Penn state was just in a dead sprint from the jump that they knew what Ohio State had with C.J. Stroud and that offense. And so they were like, all right, we're just going to put the gas pedal down until we hit empty. And they eventually did hit empty. It wasn't really like, a, okay, like dictating terms like type of thing. And I think that that's something that just really stands out about Penn State in these big games is that it doesn't feel like that they can land the punch. I mean, I thought that they might be able to uh, early when they drove down Inside the Michigan five-yard line, you have goal to go. Michigan hasn't allowed a snap inside the 10 all season long. Um, you have the chance to go up 7 nothing. I thought that that could have been Penn State landing the first punch, getting on the board, putting Michigan in a hole, putting themselves in position to dictate terms, and it just kind of fizzles out with a field goal. Um, I think that that's something with, with Penn State that just kind of stands out when you look at them in these big games is that – they're never, it feels like they're rarely the aggressor. It feels like that they're kind of either feels like they're in that sprint or they're kind of playing from behind and saying like, uh, we're going to ease into this. We're going to, we're going to see, see how this game's going to go. And you can't really do that um, against these teams. And I, I think that some of that goes back to game planning, coaching, and then in the game, the the players you know, being able to execute and get things done. I asked Curtis Jacobs kind of point blank after the game today, 
what's the difference between Penn State and Ohio, Penn State and Michigan? And he's at execution. Well, I mean, something James Franklin said to your point about the aggressor that stood out for me, and we'll wrap up in, in a moment. But he said, uh, we had a couple shots called, but we were waiting for a specific look at specific defense, and we weren't able to do that. So we weren't able to loosen them up from a coverage standpoint to help with the more consistent, higher percentage throws. So it sounds like to me that Michigan dictated to them, right? Mm-hmm. It sounds like to them that they wanted to do something in the passing game. They were waiting for Michigan to allow that to happen. Michigan did not allow it to happen, so they did not it didn't happen so again that that's you're being dictated to on your home field and and with a third-year offensive coordinator with the quarterback who who you know you haven't shied away from you know mentioning that he can be the one no you know no one within that facility has shied away from that fact that he could be the missing piece to the puzzle here and we've you know talked so much about the components that they have and, and some of the things they went out and did in the transfer portal addressing some positions but here they are and and i think let's finish here with, with just the emotional impact here because when you pick up that second loss and and Every player that we've talked to, it feels like since we were in post-game coverage in Pasadena last year at the Rose Bowl has said, you know, we want to go to the college football playoff. We want to go to the Big Ten championship game. They may want – I mean, they want to do it still, but they won't be able to. It's two losses. You're done. And next year, two losses will not eliminate you, but we're not to next year yet. And so hearing from Adiza Isaac after the game, Daniel, something I kind of asked – Got to, you know, it's a hard conversation to have, but – after these couple of games, considering what the offense, the performance was and the defensive performance was, how do you avoid a schism? How do you avoid issues within your locker room when one side of the football is playing at a different level and, and, and when it matters the most? And Adiza Isaac said that's something that's upon him in, in the defensive room to, to do as a team captain, to make sure that he sets the tone, that fingers aren't pointed, that they've got more to accomplish. Obviously, individually, all these guys have a lot to accomplish. Every rep matters. Every every game tape matters when you're trying to get to the next level. But collectively, you could wonder a little bit as guys check back into the building that, you know, on Sunday, and this extends all the way up through the staff and all the way down through the players. But now that the Big Ten championship is off the table and now that your opportunity to go compete for a national championship is off the table. And now you got to play the bull watch and you got to, you know, play that game and see if you can end up. And now we're going to start talking about opt outs and transfer portal and all that stuff that pops up here. In, you know, the second half of November in college football, when you have two losses, how does this team react? And, you know, the emotions are raw. You saw Theo Johnson, you know, put them on full display when he was made available in Beaver stadium after this win or after this loss, I should say. Yeah, Theo Johnson was uh, a very, uh, I mean, I think that you could say that he was pretty distraught um, with, with how things went. I mean, he he broke down um, over the course of, of his availability with us, and he had about, there's about 15 to 30 seconds of just kind of silence um, between reporters and Theo as he tried to collect himself. Um, you know, he, he let the tears go. Um, you know, he said, uh, quote, there's a lot of people that are counting on not just me, but this team. I just feel like I lot I let a lot of people down. Um, and that was he was asked what goes through his mind after a loss like this. Um, and then he was asked, you know, why do you feel like you let people down? And he said, I could have played better as a captain. There's a lot of people counting on you to make plays. And and then he trailed off. And someone asked, well, what could you have done better? Um, and then there was some some silence and, and some tears and. Um, you know, Theo, you know, he could have tapped out um, of that media session, but he collected himself. And um, I think some of the veteran reporters on the beat kind of helped ease him back into things. Um, and I, you know, I love talking to Theo. I think that 
when we see him come into the media room or wherever we're doing post game, he's someone that you gravitate toward um, just because of, of who he is and what he's going to tell you. Um, but I, I thought that that was really, really interesting to see. And I, I think that, you know, this is the second time after one of these big games where we've had someone be that raw. I mean, we had Drew Aller um, after Ohio State, and then we have Theo Johnson after Michigan today. And I think that you're kind of looking at two very different things where with Drew Aller, you know, that is his first real taste of failure at the college level. I think that's that's kind of a, a very young uh, emotion sort of where that's him going home, you know, first big start, national TV. You know, he's someone who hadn't lost, hadn't been a starting quarterback in a loss in almost two years. That happens, and you see that kind of um, emotional outpouring. And then you look at Theo Johnson. This is a fourth-year guy, probably could have gone to the NFL after last year and found a home. He decided to come back. He's a team captain. This is something that he's been working for. He was here through 2020. He was here through 2021. Um, and, and to see him break down like that, I think that this is someone who really realizes that Penn State missed out on an opportunity today, that you only get so many of these chances. And Penn State had a golden one, and they let it go. And so you look towards what's going to happen during these next two games and looking ahead of the bowl game. And I'm really, really interested to see how this shakes out. Penn State was able to work this last year. You know, they were six and two after that Ohio State loss. Some of us on this podcast thought that they should just start Drew Aller and start playing for for 2023, uh, see what they had. Neither but, of us, by the way. <laughs> but they, <laughs> you know, they looked at what they had and they said, "All right, like we're gonna we're gonna go for it." And I think that, but you look at where that team was. That's guys who had done 2020, had done 2021, and they needed. You think about Sean Clifford, Jair Brown. You know they yeah. needed to end their careers on that note. You know Juice Scruggs, PJ Mustafer. Those were guys that had done a lot, um, seen a lot, and they wanted to get Penn State back to where it was when they got there. That was something we heard a ton from Jair Brown. And you look at this group. This group, they were supposed to take the next step from last year. Like they, you went 11 and two last year, you know, 10 and two in the regular season. You weren't supposed to go 10 and two in the regular season this year. You were supposed to be 11 and one, 12 and 0. We thought that they'd be 11 and one. A lot of people did. All three of us. And they don't do that. So it's kind of like, where do you go? Because 10 and two for this group is going to be different than 10 and two for the other group. So what is this going to look like? we've heard a lot about the leadership being different this year in terms of, you know, it's more, it's kind of more spread out a little less decentralized. You don't have Sean Clifford and Tig Brown. Who are the guys that are going to, you know, really buy in, you know, to this stretch run? Who's, who are going to be the ones that are going to be pulling everyone along? I, I think that you look at guys like Adisa Isaac, Theo Johnson, those are guys that come to mind, but no I, it's, Aller. I mean, this is three yeah. games here. He's got to take. He, he's got to treat this offense. And he's got to treat like this team, this locker room, like his baby. Because his big brothers are about to leave. They're going to go to the NFL. Mm-hmm. They're moving on. Somewhere are going to hit the transfer portal. Guys who have been around the program. It, it's time. I mean, if it hasn't happened already, adversity has struck. A lot of the guys you've been leaning on, like the Theo Johnsons of the world, these are fourth, fifth year guys. If you want to create those vibes that they're exiting a season on the upward trajectory, like we certainly all felt last year. 
then that's got to be an essential figure. You can't have Drew Aller meandering his way through these next three games. And you're wondering about he's got to be the punctuation mark here. I think if you're going to salvage and, and it's kind of funny to say salvage a 10 or 11 win season, but that's where Penn state is. That's where they have tried to set the bar for themselves. So if you're going to salvage from where they are through these next three games, whatever that third on no matchup is, you, you you'd hope if you get to 10 wins, it's a pretty marquee game. But I think what you got to do is have drew Aller affirm what we talked about in the off season and not reach, you know, January where there's a question about the quarterback spot here in Happy Valley and, and whether that's going to be good enough to beat the Ohio States and Michigans and Washingtons and Oregons of the world, because that's what the Big Ten is turning into. So to me, that's that's tremendously important. And to your point, in terms of what we're looking for here in the, the rest of the way. Yeah, that, that's very well said. I, I think that these next two games in the bowl game, this is Drew Allers. You know, this is where you set yourself up for next year that you want to send out these seniors, these guys who aren't coming back. You want to send them out on a high note. You want to, you know, figure figure some th- things out. Give James Franklin another ten win season on the resume. Maybe another New Year's Six Bowl uh, that you can put another trophy in the Lash Building. Um, but I think that Drew Aller, uh, after these past couple of games, you have some questions about him as a quarterback. I think it's time for him to stand up and really answer everything. And I'm just gonna I'll finish here because uh, you brought up Theo Johnson and, and guys like him and Curtis Jacobs. Tyler Warren, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Tyler Elsden, Olu Fashionu, they were part of the 2020 recruiting class that, that, that followed that 11-win season that finished with the Cotton Bowl. And we were getting very similar vibes to how we felt coming out of last season, Daniel. You weren't covering the team then, but in 2019, you know, they, 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 they roll through a bunch of, of, of opponents late in the season. Uh, they got Journey Brown as this breakout star late in the year. They got Micah Parsons, who finished his sophomore year as an All-American player. And, you know, there's still some questions about Sean Clifford at that point, but a lot of good vibes. And these guys show up as the reinforcements. And you know that they're being recruited as saying, hey, we hit 11. We, we were 11 and 2 last year before you got here. You're going to get here. And now we're going to go and win 11 games in the regular season or win 12 games in the regular season. And instead, that group shows up. There's a pandemic. Their first season starts 0-5. They get this uh, really tough stretch of it where you got a you know seven and six season in the mix where you go from five and zero to seven and six and then last year there's a bright light here I mean at the end of their careers and they've stacked up some wins but this group has the stomach that they are one and seven collectively against Michigan and against Ohio State and again the only opportunity they had to enjoy that post game victory beating one of these teams was in front of absolutely no one in Ann Arbor in 2020 when they were a one in five squad. So your heart kind of goes out to them, but you also, you just kind of say, as we did after the Ohio state game, it encapsulates where the program's at. And James Franklin's great to elite statements in 2018, the recruits who came after that, the Daquan Harris and Caden Wallace's of the world, they've took on Ohio state five times and never got the taste of, of a win against the Buckeyes. So it's just where you're at right now. The big East, uh, big 10 East has ended and Penn state, uh, that's kind of secured its legacy, I suppose, as the definitive number three team of this era uh, within the conference divisional structure. Maybe the third best team overall in, in the conference, but the third best team within their own division. And you're not getting three teams out of your own division into the college football playoff any year <laughs> at all. You got all two last year. Daniel, I think that wraps it up. This is the longest postgame podcast that we've done maybe in a while here at Lions 24-7, certainly with each other. But one of those losses and one of those performances that I felt you know, dictates it. And 
we don't set up a, a rundown for these ones. We do it for every <laughs> every other episode, but for these post game podcasts, we just say let's talk our way through it. I think we did that. Daniel, appreciate it. Always good sitting with you at, at Beaver Stadium, and then again here in the post game pod. Thanks for having me, Tyler. All right, that's going to do it for both of us here on this edition. We're back Monday. Again, James Franklin's press conference now moved to Monday, and we've got some things to discuss with an Indy Lions head coach. That'll be noon in Beaver Stadium, and pretty soon after that, we'll be back with our next podcast. We'll bring in Mark Brennan for his thoughts on what went down in a 24-15 Michigan win in Beaver Stadium. For now, stepping aside on behalf of Daniel Gallon, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.